at Forest Town Church, if we've not met before. Who watched the election debate on Thursday night? Who watched it? Yeah, good, good number of us. Um, I was I was dragged into the political debate at the um, well the bus household, uh, um, my wife's uh, home. It was really good fun. Um, but it's funny, isn't it? Listening, I listened to the radio the day after. And they, for fair, fairness, they had all of the candidates, kind of representatives, all the parties, kind of come on the radio. Um, and it's funny, every single one of them said, oh yeah, my, our candidate, they were the best. Oh, they shot, you know, they, they really showed, you know, what the party was about. You know, didn't matter which one it was, from UKIP ooh, to a Conservative, to Lib Dem, to Labour, to all of them, Plaid Cymru for Jill, whoever she is. Um, all of them, they were saying, yeah, our candidate, our candidate, Sean. And, it's funny, isn't it? Because they say this, this election is likely to be one of the most that is about style rather than substance. You know, that actually, it's all about the soundbite. It's all about how the person looked on TV. And it's not really about the policies or the economical strategy. And I'm not here to do a political broadcast. People go, well, why are we talking about politics? But against that backdrop, I want to share the Easter story with you today. Um, and I'm calling this talk The Resurrection... The ordinary meets the extraordinary. I want to look at the ordinaries of the Easter story. Yeah, I thought I might get that reaction. People were like, great, you're talking about what's ordinary. But I hope it's actually going to be encouraging. We're, um, we're going to look at ordinaries of, in three ways. We're going to look at the ordinaries of this actual event, of, of, the, of in the events in the Easter story, that they were actually real events, not a myth, not a fairy tale. They're real historical events. And on the surface, they might be ordinary, but the meaning underneath we'll find is actually very extraordinary. And then we'll look at the disciples and the ordinariness of the disciples. People who get things wrong, people who fail, you know, just like me. And that's encouraging, because we'll see that God uses people just like the disciples, just like you and me, who get things wrong, who, who, who mess up. You know, ordinary people. And we'll also look at the ordinariness of Jesus, but only in a sense to say that his humanity, actually what he shared with us in his humanity, we'll see that he was betrayed, that he was grieved, that he got tired, that he was stressed, that you know, he, he felt grief. And at the heart of the story, unlike what David Cameron says, we'll find that actually there's an extraordinary event in Jesus, that he rose from the dead. And that gives us hope, and it is the cornerstone of our very faith. Amen. If you've got your Bible, we're um, following from Luke 22, um, Luke chapter 22. I'm going to kind of touch base with pretty much Luke 22 to Luke 24. Uh, we could spend a week on this, and I'll try not to spend a week on it. Um, but we'll pick it up in verse 7. So it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. So, on the face of it, this is a very ordinary Jewish festival, okay? Passover had been celebrated for over a thousand years before Jesus. The year before Jesus died, there was a Passover. The year after Jesus died, there was a Passover. This very weekend, Jews around this nation will have been celebrating the Passover meal, particularly on the Friday. And it involves quite ordinary things. It involves bread, it involves wine. These, these are symbolic, but they're, they're not special in themselves. And yet Jesus is saying that he's eagerly desiring to eat this meal. It says in verse 15 and 16, I have 
eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He's eagerly looking forward to this moment. What is he talking about? Um, Braden, if you can kind of get that clip ready. Um, it reminds me, actually, of a moment in the film Hercules. I don't know if you Disney fans out there, the Disney version. And there's this moment, if we can just quickly have the sound for it, it'd be great. Brilliant. I'm not sure if you could hear all the audio there. So, um, <laughs> that Hades is reacting badly to this. Um, so, if you've not seen the film, it's, it's talking about the, the stars are aligning for this moment. The stars come into line and this big battle between Hades and Zeus and then Hercules comes into the day. And in a sense, this is actually what's going on here. The, all of history is leading to this moment. The stars have aligned for this moment, this meal, this week. You know, this, this Passover meal and these, these events, it's all coming to this. And heaven and hell are about to clash in this climactic battle. And heaven's going to win. But that's, that's what's happening. Um, yet, what does it actually look like? An ordinary meal, an ordinary Jewish festival, disciples together having a meal. And what does this ordinary tell us? Well, two things spring out to me. Number one, it gives me confidence that we're dealing with actual history. It's not a Disney fairy tale. It's not the tale of of Hercules. It's not being hyped up like the election to something that it's not. You know, the Bible just tells us the ordinary events. It's it's a real account of what happened. And two, it, it tells us, I think, something of who God is. God is a humble God. He loves to come to us in humble ways. He's not about a show off. He's not about hype. He deals with us with patience and with humility. It's, it, he even delights in using what is foolish by, by the world standards, by what is not impressive by the world standards, in order to really show where people are at. You know, if, you're, if you come to God looking for a show, he's not too impressed by that. And he doesn't seem to, to want to, to show you that show, even though he is all-powerful and majestic. If you come... Um, thinking that you, you know it all, or you usually you leave disappointed with the wisdom of God because it seems to, seems that it isn't about intellect and intelligence. But if you come humble, you find that actually it's real wisdom, real truth, real hope. That's who God, that's who God is. And so in, in, we have this in this, in this event. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, also, it's all the way through the Bible, actually. Uh, just and as, as an aside, if you look at something like Genesis 1.16 or something, where it just says, he also made the stars. I mean, that's got to be the most understated statement in the Bible ever, hasn't it? He also made the stars. I mean, it's like his, his bin doctor's taking a day off. If I was writing the Bible, I'd do something like this. This is the best I can do it. And then, in his awesome and majestic power... God sent fiery balls of light across the universe with just the merest flick of his tiny pinky finger. 
And when he had finished, he said, I'm awesome. I mean, it's just he made the start. He made Canis Majorus, this gigantic son, you know, and it's just, it's just in there somewhere in that verse. Yeah, this, this is the God we worship. Or, or take the arrival of Jesus. He comes to the earth as a baby. He comes to a backwater, unfashionable town in Nazareth. He's born in a feeding trough of a stable in that town. And one of the, one of the disciples, not meaning to be uh, cheeky, actually asked the question, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, you, you could hear it, like Hatfield, couldn't you? It's like, Hatfield, could anything good come from Hatfield? You know, or, or insert whatever you like, Luton, even though I love Luton. Um, yes, amen. <laughs> God's in, the, in that town. Um, but, you know, if, if I came to, to church and said, oh yeah, um, God's just been born and it was in Hatfield, you'd be like, what? Hatfield? And this is the God we worship. He, he does it in, an un, in surprising, humble ways. So back to the story, back to this Passover meal. The stars have aligned for this moment. All of history has been leading up to this. It, it may look ordinary, but here's the extraordinary. It is all about Jesus. History has all been pointing to this moment. It's all about him. Passover started um, with the Israelites escaped from Egypt. Um, they were slaves to the Egyptians. Um, you, you know the story. God sent Moses and the plagues. And he was going to Moses saying, let my people go. No. And then the, the last of the plagues was uh, God saying he's going to send his, uh, an angel of death throughout the land. And all the firstborn in the land will die. Except those who have lamb's blood on the doorposts of their door. That's what, the, you know, that's what, what the, we're celebrating in Passover, the escape of that, of that judgment. The Israelites are, cel- are celebrating their escape and that God passed over their houses as they had the lamb's blood on their doorposts. Isn't it crazy? Over a thousand years later, Jesus walks the earth and he knows this is all about him. You know, and he says, you know, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. He is that sacrificial lamb. And it's just the same for us. We are included in Jesus. You know, his blood, it's only by his blood that we can be called sons and daughters of God. It's only by his blood that he passes over judgment on us. That's what it's about, and that's all we put our, our faith in. And it's, inc- it's incredible. This ordinary event is so rich in meaning and is so extraordinary. So what about the people involved in it? What about the disciples? How ordinary were they? Well, as I read the passage, I can only say very ordinary. Verse 24, for example. Still chapter 22. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. <laughs> you know, this is, this is this big moment, okay? This big moment, this big meal. Jesus said, I really look forward to this. This is like all history leading to this. How does it end? The disciples get into an argument about, no, I'm the best. I mean, that is just incredible that, that this is the people that God uses. Talk about ruining a moment. And it gets worse and worse. Jesus goes to pray. He's, he brings his disciples with them. In verse 45, when he arose from prayer and went back to his disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted with sorrow. A crowd comes to arrest Jesus, led by Judas, one of his disciples who has betrayed him. Peter thinks, I'm not having this, and chops someone, hits someone's ear off. I mean, to be fair to Peter, it, Jesus has just told him, you know, that you're going to deny me. And so, I kind of feel for him, he's like, yes, I'm going to shoot, I'm not going to deny you, I'm in there, with the sword, yes. No, no, you didn't want me to do that. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I, 
I just thought I'd fight for you. No, Jesus, Jesus has another plan, and the disciples just don't get it. So Peter follows, and then he falls away too, denies that he ever knew Jesus. It's like their world is completely shattered. All of the disciples flee. And for the rest of the story, until the resurrection, it's like they're conspicuous by their absence. It isn't the disciples who carry Jesus' cross. It isn't the disciples who arrange for his burial after he dies. All of this time with Jesus, all of his teaching, and yet they just don't get it at all. And it's actually the women who come up trumps in this time. They're, they're the ones who are at the cross with John. They're the ones who follow Jesus to the tomb. They're the ones who are preparing spices and, per- and perfumes for his burial. And they're the ones who become the first witnesses of the most incredible event in history. So these disciples, they're ordinary people, and they get things wrong. And that, I find, really encouraging. Because I'm an ordinary person, and I get things wrong. And I fail Jesus. If you've never got this before, if no one's ever explained this to you, if you think uh, that the Christian life is about going to church, doing the right things, so that God will accept you, let me just, just say it again today. It is not. God takes ordinary people like you and me, and because of Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus, he forgives them, and he cleans them from the inside out. He calls them his son and his daughter, He makes them right with him, and he completely transforms their lives. And it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's what he has done. He died to pay for everything we've done wrong. He bore the wrath for God's sin. He took the punishment for us, and it's a free invitation. In Jesus, we have forgiveness and a completely new relationship with God. Addictions, broken relationships, messed up, whatever it is, you can come to Jesus. Doesn't that encourage you that, you know, that's the kind of, people that God deals with, ordinary people. It, it, you know, even at the point of the resurrection, if you notice, um, this is, I think we're in about chapter 24 now, but the literal risen Jesus is stood in front of the disciples. The risen Jesus is there. And it says that some of them still doubted. The risen Jesus is stood in front of them and some of them are still doubting and still not sure. And that encourages me because you know, I have times of doubt. But do you know what? God works with people who still have times of doubt. People who still fail. That's still people he works with. The risen Jesus is for ordinary people. And what about the ordinariness of Jesus then? Well, as I say, in one sense, yes. We're talking about his humanity here. The Bible teaches that Jesus was fully man and fully God. He wasn't 50% man, 50% God. He was 100% man, 100% God. Right the way through these passages, we see Jesus laying down his, his... Godness, his divinity, in order to enter into our experience, enter our, into our experience as a human being. At, at the meal with his disciples, he knows that Judas is going to betray him. You know, he has every, every chance there to, to, to say to Judas, I know it's you, and don't do it. Or to tell the rest of the disciples. He chooses not to. He lays his life down. He still even protects Judas. He withholds his power and allows himself to be betrayed. In the garden, praying alone, Jesus is isolated. Everything about him, everything about him that is human is screaming out not to go to the cross. Everything about him that is human is saying not to die, not to be tortured. But there's no disagreement in the Godhead. Jesus still says, Father, in verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He's under extreme stress. He knows what's about to happen. 
His sweat even appears like drops, like drops of blood, which biologists would tell us is actually a known phenomenon. When the guards come to arrest him, how much do you think it hurt that Judas is there leading the way and ready to betray him with a kiss? He still lays down his power and authority. He heals the ear of the servant. He submits to the arrest. In John's Gospel, we even learn that he had to kind of encourage them to arrest him. Because it's like his godness can't help but break through. They, they come to get him and, and, and he says, who have you come for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And when he says, I am he, they draw back and fall to the ground. Because <laughs> he's saying, Yahweh, I am, I am God, I'm he. And they're like, whoa. And he has to say, no, come and arrest me, I'm he. Come and get me. So he's laying down his divinity for us. He's deserted, he is mocked, he is beaten, he is insulted, he submits to the authority of Pilate and Herod, who have no say over him, but he submits to the authority. He is tried and found guilty in a mock trial, and by a mob verdict, he is condemned to be flogged and nailed to a cross. Jesus died a very real, ordinary, painful death. In fact, extraordinary in the, in the sense of how painful it was. And even at the very end, he forgives the criminal who is hanging next to him. Wow, this is our God. This is Jesus. He entered into the very depths of human experience. He bore all our pain. He, he bore the wrath of, of, of sin for us. He even experienced separation with the Father in that moment and cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? But he comes the extraordinary end. He didn't stay dead. He's alive. Yeah, the, the resurrection accounts are also wonderfully ordinary <laughs> in a sense of, it's an incredible thing, but it's wonderfully overstated, understated. Do you, do you find that? At, at the tomb, um, the, the women go to find Jesus and, and find angels instead. If I was Jesus, I would have been, you know, I, I, I want for better of a kind of being like a ta-da kind of moment, you know, here I am. Instead, we get him as a gardener and just coming alongside the women. Until they have that moment of recognition, teacher, Rabboni, it's you. On the road to Emmaus, and the guys are talking about you know, all that's happened, and up comes this stranger, and he says, yeah, what are you talking about? And he says, oh, how, have you not heard about all these things that have happened? And again, like, they don't get it, they don't get it, they don't get it, and then he breaks bread with them, and then they're saying, like, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. What is that about? I, I find it mysterious and fascinating. Something different about the risen Jesus, um, in, in his body, perhaps you know there's something going on there. But part of it, I think, is almost like this this hopelessness which the disciples all had, suddenly turning to hope. And for you, maybe you're not a Christian here today, and maybe you're kind of looking for you know the evidence that's going to kind of seal it. Can I ask you this? Come to God with an open heart, because actually He might want to speak to you in your heart just as much as your head. After the resurrection, Jesus did unfold the scriptures to the disciples and explained everything about him. But the actual revelation that he was alive came in the heart. It came as they recognized him. And I wonder if that's the same for us. And I wonder if that's the same the way that God wants to often relate to us. Is He wants that heart revelation, that connection. He's speaking to you. And he wants you to know him. Mm. He does go on to very definitely say, I am alive. He appears before all the disciples. He even allows them to touch his wounds. And because they're like, oh, it's, it's a ghost, 
He eats fish in front of them, which I just find almost comical. He's eating fish. He says, look, it's unreal. I'm real. Yeah. But he, he wanted that heart revelation for people to know he is alive. And all that hopelessness turns to hope and everything changes. Because Jesus is alive, it says that he has beaten death. And our sins, they, they don't count against us because he's defeated them. They've been nailed to the cross. He's risen again as the firstborn to show that we will one day rise again. Heaven's a real place. And God has won. It's an amazing, amazing event. And I hope I've captured something of the extraordinariness as well as the ordinariness in those events. Hmm. I want to pray for us at a moment. Um, I want to pray for you, though, particularly. If you've, if you've never caught that before, if you've never known God... In, that, in this way, you've ever known that he's for ordinary people and he's calling you? Can I ask today, is he speaking to your heart? Is he calling you in? Is he saying, I, I, yeah, I love you. I love you and I, I want you. I've chosen you. If, you if, if that's you today, I'd love to pray for you. I'm going to give an opportunity for that in a moment. But I also think for some, many of us, we might kind of forget that that hope of the resurrection is for ordinary people like us. I think sometimes in the events of life, we can sometimes allow them to dampen the hope that we have and the reasons we have to celebrate. And we could sometimes think that it, doesn't, it maybe just isn't quite for us at times, even when we're Christians. And I just want to encourage us today, if you need to know the hope of the resurrection, he's, he's here for you today. He wants to meet with you. Yeah, he's got grace for you. So I'm just going to pray, pray for those things. Why don't you just pray with me? Father, thank you for sending Jesus Thank you that he died in our place so that we might know you. Thank you, Father. Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead, showing that I can know you today. We commit ourselves to you, Jesus, to following you. You are our hope and you are our life. I pray for anyone here today who's never made that decision. That right now, you might come, fill them. They might know you, Jesus. They might know their sins forgiven and a new start with you. And Father, I pray for all of us. I pray for all of us that we might know the hope of your resurrection And we might know that you came for ordinary people like us to transform us, to use us for your glory. That in the situations we're facing, broken relationships, addictions, the hardness of life at times, we have hope in your resurrection that you defeated death. And I pray today for anyone who just needs a fresh touch of your grace, pray come and meet with them right now, God. Fill them again with hope. Fill them again with your Holy Spirit, with a touch of your love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.